Dogs and Cats, K-State makes the Big 12 championship game for the first time since 2003. Jared Sluppy with you. Thank you so much for tuning in here for this episode of the Sluppy Sports Podcast. And boy, am I excited for this one. I mean, this is this is one that's years in the making. K-State defeats Kansas 47-27, to and with the win, they are in the Big 12 championship game as they'll take on TCU this upcoming Saturday. I'll be there, AT&T Stadium. Looking forward to that one very much. Should be a lot of fun. Let's talk about what happened yesterday. Early on in the game, I was I'm not going to lie, I was a little bit worried. K-State's run defense was letting Devin Neal kind of do whatever he wanted on the ground. Start off with, and uh, Jalen Daniels, too. He was making some big plays on the ground, and he also had some nice throws over the air as well. Daniels, of course, not really looking nearly as good as he did back in September when he won the unofficial September Heisman, if you will, and KU won the September National Championship. <laughs> what was their 5-0 and start? And that's pretty much the, the highlight of their season. After that, they, of course, finished the year losing six of their last seven games. But Jason, or rather, excuse me, Jalen Daniels goes 20 for 32 in this one, 168 yards, no touchdowns, no picks. But he does have a rushing touchdown in this one. This was a game where, like I said, I was a little bit nervous at the start. Offense got off to a good start. We got the ball first. Uh, KU decided to defer, which I think was a mistake by them because K-State's been deciding to, whenever they win the coin toss, to set the tone, be on offense first, score first, hold on to the lead, never look back. K-State has the best plus-minus ratio in the first half in the Big 12, and they add on to that with a nice 11-point lead at the break, or actually 9-point lead at the break. Well, what's crazy about this game, though, is that Will Howard, as good as he was in the first half, he did not complete a single pass in that entire second half. He was 11 of 17 going into the break. He was 0 for 4 in the second half. He had 213 yards and two touchdowns, no picks in the first half, and that was what he would end up with. Deuce Vaughn, he, he kind of got off to a bit of a rough start. KU did a good job congesting the run lanes in between the tackles. Try to force him to the outside. Linebackers did a good job clogging up those holes early on. But then slowly, Deuceman was able to break down the defense and was trying to find some of those gaps. He was able to find some. Offensive line was incredible from the second quarter on as Deuceman broke out in that 80-yard pitch and catch. As I like to say, apparently, a lot during my broadcast. Apparently, I say that a lot. I guess I guess I try to have to not say that as much. But Deuceman caught a pass. Right at the line of scrimmage on a third and 12 deep in K-State's territory. Took it 80 yards all the way into the red zone. And that was kind of the play that, honestly, I think that changed the tide of the game. Because if KU gets the ball back, all of a sudden they score. It's a one-possession game. Things are looking good for KU. And they're, they just kind of hung around. They lurked around. They kept responding to K-State after they scored. And then eventually in the second half, they were able to stop. Uh, they were able to stop the Jayhawks' offense. K-State's defense has been incredible in the second half this season, or at least down the stretch. Let me see. Let me show you the stat here that I saw on the old Twitter machine. Twitter machine is sometimes good. So since the TU, excuse me, since the TCU game, when K-State gave up a buttload of points to the Horned Frogs and lost that game, they've given up, this is the second half points for opponents after TCU. Zero, three, 
zero, six, and six. That's it. 15 points to five opponents in the second half. That'll win you some ball games, and it certainly did. And uh, they were almost able to pull off that comeback against Texas, and they were able to hold off their three final opponents, including two of the three on the road. I was just really impressed with how K-State was able to take care of business down the stretch. It's something that K-State teams have not been able to do in the past. They would stumble up somewhere on some game. I think of back at the 2019 team against West Virginia at home. K-State, on their first play from scrimmage, got a touchdown middle of the field. I believe it was Dalton Schoen who got a big splash play right out of the gate. Then after that, nothing. Offense was awful. Defense wasn't able to stop West Virginia. And the Mountaineers were able to come back and win that game in what was a big-time defeat. And it kind of killed the momentum of that season. It really did. After that, of course, uh, tried to clawed and scraped out a victory somehow against Texas Tech on the road. And uh, came back home. And we lost, uh, I believe we lost uh, another game or two. I think a Baylor loss was in there somewhere, but I forget. I mean, try to forget how that season ended, but point is, this is a team that was able to stay locked in, stay focused, even when the stakes were high, which, again, something that K-State has not been able to do in a very long time. So this team is different. They're different from other K-State teams in that no matter who is in the ball game, they're going to step up. They're going to step up to the plate. I mean, take a look. I mean, obviously, the biggest example of that is Will Howard in the way he's been able to step up the season in a, in a role that he was not expected to be in this year. He was thinking, okay, I'm going to redshirt this season, and I'm going to be the starter next year. Expectations for me are probably going to be pretty low, considering what I've done at K-State so far. Instead, Adrian Martinez gets hurt in the TCU game. He comes in, he balls out, and he hasn't looked back since then. I mean, he had that incredible Oklahoma State performance. I mean, the way he played against, uh, he didn't play against Texas, but he was able to, take us down the stretch against Baylor, West Virginia, of course, on Saturday against Kansas. Just just such a just such a professional. He just seems like he's NFL ready right now. He's six foot five. So I believe he's about 240 pounds. So he's got he's got the frame to be an NFL quarterback. So he's probably not going to be at K-State for a whole lot longer in the fact that no matter what happens, he's rather going to go to the NFL or he's not going to be the starter for much longer because, of course, we have the upcoming Avery Johnson coming in next year. So it's rather he's he's probably not going to be here for the full th- excuse me he's not going to be here for the full final three years of his eligibility. He'll probably get two seasons at it, and then it will be Avery Johnson time in his redshirt sophomore season. So, uh, but kind of re- kind of reeling back to guys stepping up, especially at the safety position. The safety position is an area that K-State has had multiple injuries. Of course, Kobe Savage goes down a few games ago against Texas, and then Sincere Mason the very next game against Baylor. He gets hurt, so guys like Joshua Hayes has to have to step up. Drake Cheatham steps up. VJ Payne steps up. Didn't see a ton of TJ Smith, but he got a, a few snaps over the past couple of games. They've done a fabulous job over the past two weeks. Josh Hayes and Drake Cheatham struggled a little bit against West Virginia, mainly because of the fact that uh, they didn't have much time to prepare for being in a starting role. But they get another full week of prep to get ready for the KU game, and they bowled out. They really did. They did a great. They did a really great, really great job of not letting KU get a ton of deep plays 
whenever K-State went into zone, which wasn't a whole lot, but they would obviously be back trying to prevent any big splash plays, and they did an excellent job of that against Kansas. So, and then, I mean, you take a look at other spots. I mean, linebacker especially with the way Austin Morris stepped up in a position that during the offseason suffering a few injuries and players moving back into the portal. You take a look at Brandon Jennings, who was supposed to transfer into K-State. He transferred back out. Um, and then some players leaving the program, too. We had a, a guy that left the program as well after the, I believe it was the after the two-lane game. Or rather, it might have been before the two-lane game, and then after the game, Coach Kleiman talked about how, uh, I'm not going to mention the name, just to, you know, but, um, so things have been interesting in terms of guys having to step up, and they've done a good job. I mean, take a look, DJ Giddens as well. He's a guy that's really stepped up this season. He's looked fantastic, and if Deuce Vaughn does not decide to come back to K-State next year, which is possible, he could decide to go to the NFL draft, I'm very confident that DJ Giddens is going to be the guy next year, and he will do a good job. Now, one area that will definitely need to step up next season is a wide receiver. Take a look at K-State's top three wide receivers. Malik Knowles, he's a senior. Phillip Brooks, also a senior. And Cade Warner, he is also a senior. So K-State will have to need the likes of guys like R.J. Garcia step up. Sterling Lockett, of course, this year he redshirted and get to see the field this year. He'll need to step up. How about Jaden Jackson, transfer from Ole Miss? He also redshirted this season. So guys like that will need to step up next year. That is something we will worry about in the offseason. But as things are right now, K-State has the tools and the weapons, the talent, the coaching, everything. They have all the key factors to go out and win next week. And I'm I'm pretty confident that K-State is going to go in and be playing with a lot of confidence next week. I think it's because... K-State got TCU when they had a lot of injuries at multiple positions. Daniel Green hurt in that game, didn't play most of it. Of course, Adrian Martinez leaves. Well, Howard doesn't come in with a full week of prep to go into that game. He now has seen TCU once, and he knows what they're going to throw at him. So he's going to be ready. And guys like Ben Sinnott have really stepped up on the offensive side of the ball. I think Deuce Vaughn is going to have another nice day against the Horned Frogs. After not his best day against TCU, he played well, didn't have his best day. So I'm pretty confident that TCU is going to get the best version of K-State coming up on this Saturday. Now, as for those Horned Frogs, man, did they ever play good on Saturday, defeating Iowa State 62-14 to in a game against the best defense in the Big 12. Now, honestly, I think that it's more of Iowa State just kind of giving up was pretty cool to see Will McDonald the fourth for Iowa State get the all-time sack uh, record in the Big 12, surpassing the likes of Von Miller. Pretty cool stuff there, but I'll tell you what, Hunter Deckers, man, he's he is not good. And they're going to have to look elsewhere, and they, they have a really good four-start recruit coming in next year. There might be a quarterback competition going into uh, 2023 for the Cyclones, so they just kind of folded. They end up the year 4-8, and eight, but TCU, they really – showcased there to me it was their defense that was even more impressive you you take a look at what they did they had two pick sixes in this one uh iowa state's offense never got into a rhythm they were up 24 nothing after the first quarter 
and there was just no way that the Cyclones were able to get anything going. They had a garbage time touchdown. Honestly, sixty-two to seven was was the uh, what should have been the final score. And a couple of good touchdowns at the beginning of the game offensively. Uh, Griffin Kell looks like he's the real deal. He's a he's a beast. The TCU kicker he can make from anywhere. But in terms of Max Duggan, he's a, he's a very good player. You give me a choice between Max Duggan and Will Howard. I'm going to take Will Howard nine times out of ten. I think that maybe Duggan is the better leader right now just because he's been at TCU for 15 years. Um, but I think Will Howard, is his his pure passing ability, I believe, is far surpassing Max Duggan as of right now. Now, unfortunately, I, I don't think that he's going to be able to get any of the postseason Big 12 awards just because he hasn't played very many games. But just his ability in the pocket to find his receivers and very calmly put it right where he needs to. The most impre- the most impressive pass to me this season that are the most important the most impressive throw, excuse me. There I mean there's many of them. They had a, cu- a couple great throws against Oklahoma State, but the one to me was the back shoulder throw that he had against Baylor to Ben Sinnott where uh, it really wasn't even intended to be a back shoulder throw, but he just put it right on the money. Ben Sinnott turned his body around and made the catch in the corner of the end zone. That was just unbelievable being able to put that ball in the right spot. I mean, I kind of heard, um, I was listening to a, a podcast, uh, the Three Mile podcast, really good podcast, talking about how, I mean, yeah, that's it's pretty routine for Big 12 quarterbacks to make throws like that, but K-State's never really seen that before, making back shoulder throws in the end zone. I mean, take a look at any any school. I mean, Texas Tech, Iowa State, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, they've had quarterbacks that have been able to do that for years. Not K-State. So it's just being being able to see that really just gets you excited. Not just for the, obviously for the end of this year, but for next year as well as Will Howard be coming back. So yeah, absolutely give me Will Howard over Max Duggan any day. How will this unfold this uh, upcoming weekend is going to be interesting because Quentin Johnston, he did not play this past Saturday against Iowa State. Is he going to be healthy enough this Saturday against K-State? Because if not, that is going to be a big blow. I mean, you take a look at the weapons that TCU has. They still have a lot in the uh, wide receiver position and the running back position as well. So they'll be fine. But that um, that presence of Quentin Johnson at six foot five just makes him a threat on every single down, every single snap he's in. He is a threat to beat you deep, and he has beaten K State deep. So and having him is going to be such a big factor, and we will see if he's good enough to go for this upcoming week. So for TCU, it's getting him healthy. For K-State, it is trying to continue to work with the safeties that they've got. And uh, those are the two biggest issues in terms of injuries. Also, another injury concern, of course, is Adrian Martinez. Is he going to be healthy enough to suit up? If he is healthy enough to suit up, is he going to get the start? Because I don't think, (laughs) as crazy that sounds, there is a possibility that Adrian Martinez, if he is healthy enough, he gets a start. Now, I am hoping, I am hoping, hoping, hoping that by now they have seen enough from Will Howard and realize, oh, hey, this is the guy that needs to be our quarterback right now because he is absolutely ripping it as good as Adrian Martinez was. Will Howard's just been playing better. It's not a knock against Adrian Martinez. K-State is not where they are now without him. But the fact of the matter is, right now, Will Howard is playing like one of the best quarterbacks in America. 
And if they don't recognize that, and Adrian Martinez is out there starting, I am, well, I'm just, I'm flat, I'll say it, I'm not going to be happy. And I think K-State fans will, will agree with me there. Now, it, it's, it really is unfortunate that this is the way that it unfolded for Martinez, just with, with everything that he's gone, that everything that's happened to him in his career. But it's for the betterment of the team, and Adrian Martinez, I mean, what, from what I've heard, he's just a flat-out great teammate, and I'm sure if he recognizes that it, it puts K-State in the best position to win, he will gladly serve as the backup. And having him as a healthy backup really will just give you a sense of peace knowing that if something does happen to Will Howard because TCU has injured many a quarterbacks this season, Adrian can hop right back in there and continue to do his thing, which he has done so uh, so so well this season. All right, so going into this Big 12 championship game, tell me if you haven't heard this before. A three-loss Kansas State team goes into the Big 12 championship game against an undefeated juggernaut with a chance to play in a national championship. Tell me if you've heard that story before. Just tell me. Tell me. Of course, it's 2003. It's 2003 all over again. Bad non-conference loss. 2003 was Marshall. Of course, it didn't have L. Roberson. 2022, I almost forgot the year. It's against Tulane. K-State gets off to a bit of a rough start, loses a game on the road. Well, K-State, they had the losses to Oklahoma and rather Oklahoma State and Texas. And this year, they lose a TCU in a home against Texas. This is 2003 all over again. So, with that being said, my prediction, and I'll give this to you for free. Don't, have, don't even have to read my article because I'm going to put the same thing down. My prediction, final score, K-State 35, TCU 7. Cats going to the Sugar Bowl as the Big 12 champs. I said they'd win the Big 12 championship in my preview episode. Go back and listen to it. Now you don't have to scroll down very far. I haven't done very many episodes since then. <laughs> this is my first episode and since about the halfway point of the season just because of uh, all the work that I'm doing. But uh, either way, that is my prediction, and I'm going to leave it at that. And we're going to talk about the rest of the Big 12 now because there's a lot to talk about. And I don't know if it's worrying, but the Pac-12 definitely having a better year than the Big 12, that's for sure. Looking at the standings. So TCU, of course, 9-0, 12-0. Great, love it. K-State, 9-3, 7-2, fantastic, love it. Texas, don't love to see those ugly cows there. 3, 6-3 in conference play, 8-4. Glad they kept them out of the conference championship, but still, they are there at number 3. It is an improvement. Steve Sarkeesian did a good job this year. Quinn Ewers, not so much. I'll, I'll talk about this in a little bit, of uh, just a little bit. How about, how about them Red Raiders? They finish over 500, 5 and 4, 7 and 5. Wait, 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 wait. 5 and 4, 7 and 5 in fourth place? Are you kidding me? Only four teams finished over 500? Yep. Only four teams finished above 500 in conference play in 2022. And only three teams had eight wins or more in the regular season. That's not good. Not good. Doesn't look good. Doesn't look good for the conference. It's mainly because a couple a couple slackers from last year's Big 12 championship game are right behind Texas Tech at 4-5. and five. Oklahoma State and Baylor with the Pokes finishing 7-5 and five after starting 6-1. and one. And the Baylor Bears losing their, losing their last three games of the season 
finishing 6-6 six and six after going 11-2 and two in 2021. Man, what a disappointing year it was for Dave Aranda's crew, especially after all those rumors of him being a possible target for a larger school to get a head coaching spot. I don't think that those rumors are going to be hanging around for too much longer. But continuing down after uh, Baylor in sixth place, KU finishes – actually, no, they, take that back. They're going to swap – Oklahoma finishes in seventh. They go three and six and six and six because they were able to defeat Kansas. Kansas comes in at number eight because they defeated West Virginia but lost to Oklahoma. And then West Virginia, they are in ninth because they also were three and six, but they were five and seven. So the Jayhawks, one of the best seasons in almost two decades, and they finish eighth in the Big 12. Pretty crazy. And that's because they got off to that 5-0 start, lost six of the last seven, and uh, they end up with a, a bowl game. I mean, it is, it is definitely a step up. I'll give them that. Talk more about that in just a second. So after West Virginia and dead last, in dead stinking last, Iowa State, one and eight, four and eight overall, one year removed from their best roster in program history. So they say. Of course, that team went on to go seven and five, losing their last three games, and just a, just a really disappointing year. They had some promise though. I mean, they got off to a good start. They Started 3-0, defeated Iowa in Iowa City. Iowa, of course, now, well, I was about to say going to the Big Ten Championship, but I forgot they they blew it. They lost to Nebraska, so they are not going to the Big Ten Championship. Purdue is. But yeah, what what an absolutely pitiful year for the Cyclones. And like I said, I think they absolutely need to move on from Hunter Deckers 100%. I mean, if they can get any sort of production out of their four-star quarterback coming in next year... And they will be, they'll be right back in the mix of things, I think. And by mix of things, I mean in the middle, in the middle of the pack. They won't be losing at home to, you know, against a Texas Tech or a KU. But we'll see. We'll see how they how they respond. As for West Virginia, this is a team that's pretty intriguing moving forward. They get their win against Oklahoma State in Stillwater. That was a pretty impressive finish. A rainy Stillwater. The ending. For Oklahoma State was just putrid. It was just a, an, an awful finish. Spencer Sanders doesn't play in this one. It was Garrett Rangel making the start, and he goes 18 for 42. It's just been a lost season for Oklahoma State, and <laughs> they just gotta gotta feel for Mike Gundy. It's just just unfortunate that things unfolded the way they did. Of course, getting dinged up against TCU. Knocked out of the game against Kansas State, and then not able to really bounce back. But as for, I mean, <laughs> take a look at what West Virginia did to win this game. Garrett Green threw 14 passes, completed eight of them for 48 yards, no touchdowns, and an interception. So, I mean, they had another quarterback come in as well, threw a few passes. I mean, this was just a gutsy win. He had uh, Jalen Anderson rushing for 150 yards, and two scores was a really impressive performance from him. And uh, Garrett Green also, he did have a rushing touchdown. We'll give him that. But, man, West Virginia moving forward. Of course, they uh, think the, obviously the, the, the most obvious move for West Virginia, got to get rid of Neil Brown, 100%. And then after that, I mean, see what happens. Because, I mean, right now, they don't really have a whole lot going on in Morgantown right now. 
But yeah, they got to move on from Neil Brown. Can you believe that he was in the mix for K-State candidates in 2019? He was a guy that was being brought up a lot. And when Chris Kleiman was hired, folks were saying, oh, we should have hired hired Neil Brown. We should have hired Seth Luttrell. (laughs) Pretty insane in hindsight. Another pretty ridiculous hire was Brent Venables in Oklahoma. My goodness, 6-6. Six and six. I mean, you talk about a team that's down bad in 2022. All the people that moved on have just been thriving. And they're sitting in the gutters at 6-6, six and 3-6 six, and six in conference play. Spencer Rattler getting back-to-back wins against top 10 teams. Caleb Williams probably just locked up the Heisman and possibly uh, have a spot in the college football playoff. Lincoln Riley, of course, being the head coach as well. Mario Williams is on that team. Just brutal. Just absolutely brutal. Yeah, absolutely love to see it. <laughs> but getting back to KU here, very impressive what Lance Leipold was able to do in his second full year at KU. Going from two-win season a year ago, I believe, two or three wins, to now being bowl eligible. I just think the the KU fandom needed to Simmer down a bit, though. <laughs> when they they were talking so much smack when they were five and zero, talking about how they're this was the year they were gonna beat K State and possibly go to the Big Twelve Championship. It's like, calm down. Let's let's take it easy. Like we're we're happy that you're at least respectable again, but let's simmer down. You guys are you guys haven't played anybody yet. You guys are gonna lose a lot of games towards the end of the year and maybe make a bowl game. And they did. They executed. They. Got a win against an Oklahoma State team that fell apart. Um, they got a win against a West Virginia team that I we thought was a lot better at the time. They got a win against a dysfunctional Houston team. But, I mean, hey, I will say this. Previous teams for KU are not going to go into Houston and win. They're not going to go into Morgantown and win. Shoot, I don't even think that they could handily beat Tennessee Tech. When I first saw that game against Tennessee Tech, I saw the scores like 56-10. to 10. When's the last time KU's gotten a, a dominant win against an FCS opponent? I mean, it's probably been a long time. And even though Tennessee Tech is the bottom of the barrel for the FCS, it was still a step up. It was an improvement. So they definitely, to me at the time, it seemed like, wow, this team might actually make some noise. I didn't think it was going to be anything like this, though, of course. I predicted them to go what? I think I predicted them to... I think I still predicted them to go 1-11 this year, if I, if I recall, with just the win against Tennessee Tech. So, hey, props to KU for exceeding expectations. Those will be much higher now with the likes of Jalen Daniels and Devin Neal returning next year. You lose a couple pieces in the secondary. Kobe Bryant is going to be... Uh, you're going to miss him a lot next year. Uh, Earl Bostic, their left tackle, is gone as well. He is a fantastic uh, tackle for KU over the years. He'll probably find a, find his way to play on Sundays in the in the not-too-near future. I guess I should say near future, I guess, if, they, if he gets developed right. So, I mean, they're going to lose some pieces, but they're going to get more back than K-State does. So we'll see what happens there with the Jayhawks. And again, yeah, you get Jalen Daniels back. Hopefully you can get fully healthy. He got dinged up against K-State after he dove into the end zone for his rushing touchdown. Definitely was in a lot of pain. He would come in and finish the game, but you could tell that he was not 100% at 
after that run. Let's take a look at Baylor now. I mean, let's man, what a disappointing season again for Baylor. It was a promising start to an extent. The loss to BYU was not great, but it was like, oh, this is a pretty good BYU team. Ended up not being the case. BYU finished seven and five. Um, they barely were able to escape against Iowa State, and then they lost two straight versus Oklahoma State, and then at West Virginia was kind of the stunner, which I know Baylor has not played well in Morgantown. I don't think they have won in Morgantown, I believe, if I recall correctly, but they really struggled there for for whatever reason. They lost there 43-40. to It was a thriller on a Thursday night. It went three straight, and then, as mentioned, they lose their final three with K-State being the first of those three. Because going into that K-State game, if you remember, they had won their last three games at Oklahoma the week before that, at Texas Tech, and at home versus Kansas. So they were kind of riding high a little bit, and that was what had me worried. But, of course, they uh, really, really stunk it up those last three games. Their offense, man, they are dysfunctional. They need to find an answer with Blake Shapin. He's got to rather they got to rather find a guy that can outperform him, or he's just got to make some major strides in the offseason. Just talk about such a disappointment, man. Oh, man, just he played so well against K State at the end of the year in that matchup where Gary Bohannon goes down with an injury. He played so well in relief. And then he comes into the Big 12 championship game and takes Oklahoma State to a New Year's Six Bowl. And then this year, he's just been... He hasn't been terrible. He's just been kind of middle of the road. But And, and then the Big 12, of course, that's not going to cut it. And by, middle, and by middle of the road, I mean, go 4-5 and five in conference play, 6-6 six and six overall. So that's where Baylor stands right now. They got some things that they need to work through. And, of course, their, their defense wasn't as good as it was last year because last year the Bears had a lot of really good seniors. They lost a lot of those players to the NFL. And uh, it really showed. Their defense was not nearly as good as it was last year. Speaking of which, Oklahoma State, same thing for them. They got some, uh, they got some answers. They, they got some questions at quarterback. Of course, with Spencer Sanders not coming back next year, who are they going to go with now? They got some work to do on offense. And as uh, as hard as I've been on Spencer Sanders, he was a fine game manager, and he would make throws when he needed to. He just, to me, wasn't really that great of a, a pure passer. He was a guy that could run the ball really well and occasionally can make a throw. It's kind of like uh, Adrian Martinez, but I don't think I would even say Martinez is... I would I would absolutely say Martinez is better than Sanders, but I mean in terms of his playing style, made a lot of dumb inter- and I would say this more like Adrian Martinez at Nebraska because he he had a lot of problems with interceptions, made some really stupid throws last year in the Big Twelve Championship game that carried over to this season as well, made a lot of mistakes. That was uh, one of the many reasons why Oklahoma State was not able to go back to Arlington this year, and honestly, he was the reason last year, I've said this before, I'll say it again, he was the reason why Oklahoma State lost the Big 12 championship is because of his performances, or his performance, excuse me, uh, throwing some just really boneheaded interceptions. Uh, how about those Red Raiders? They got some stuff to look forward to, their new head coach. Tell you what, Joey McGuire definitely is the guy for this team. He's just been so good 
in his first year at the helm of Texas Tech. Picked to finish ninth in the Big 12. They finished fourth in their first Big 12 record over 500 since 2009. In their first year in forever that they beat Texas and Oklahoma in the same season after winning in overtime last night against the Sooners. Yeah, I mean, this team This team is definitely headed in the right direction. If they can just sustain this and keep going forward. And by the way, they have a, a top 20 recruiting class for next year, by the way. Can't forget about that. I mean, Joey McGuire, he is putting in the work. I don't think there's any reason why Tyler Shuck would not be there next year. We'll see. Because he was a redshirt junior this year. He comes back. Texas Tech, a team that'll certainly fly under the radar next year. They gave K-State a run for their money, certainly, this year. That game will be in Lubbock next year. That's going to be a tough one. And uh, we'll see how uh, the Red Raiders are in 2023. Sir Roderick Thompson, their, I believe he was a fifth-year running back this year. I think he still had, actually, a year of eligibility next year. He will not use that. He will be going to the NFL draft. So best of luck to him. And he was, he was a fun guy to watch in his five years as a Red Raider. In third place was Texas. Of course, uh, technically is a disappointing finish with everybody in the national media saying that they should be a borderline football playoff or college football playoff team, should be in the Big 12 championship, yada, yada, yada. Man, I just think that Quinn Ewers, man, he's definitely going to be their quarterback next year. I don't think they're going to throw Arch Manning right into the fire. But, man... It's going to be interesting to see moving forward if there's a point where Ewers is so mediocre that they're like, we got to do something. You know, <laughs> we can't lose four games again in 2023. We got to move on. We will see. Because Quinn Ewers, I mean, has as much hype as there was around him. I mean, he literally had a perfect rating out of high school. He certainly is not living up to that right now. He, his completion percentage is, I believe it was at 55% going into yesterday. He's made a lot of dumb interceptions. And ultimately, he's just he's just not getting the job done right now. And then, of course, next year you lose B. John Robinson and Roshan Johnson. And we'll see if uh, Worthy ends up maybe declaring for the NFL draft. We'll see. Because he's a sophomore. He's played two years. He can go to the draft now if he, dis- if he wants to. But we'll see. And then they lose a couple of big pieces on defense as well. So Steve Sarkeesian has his work cut out for him. They'll need to replace some weapons. They'll need to replace some team, rather some players on the defensive end. I think they'll be okay. They'll be fine. I think Ewers will improve. He, like I said, he's, he was a freshman this year. But with the way he was hyped up, I just thought he'd be more ready right now. He just has not been ready. We'll see how 2023 goes. Should be interesting. And, of course, K-State. K-State could lose a lot, but they they might not lose as much as they could. It kind of depends on some decisions from seniors on the offensive line. Cooper Beebe being one of them could go to the draft. Felix NUDK Uzama. I don't think there's really that much of a chance that he comes back next year. Deuce Vaughn is kind of 50-50. He'll be, he'll be interesting. And, of course, Will Howard coming back next year. Avery Johnson comes in, quarterback from Mays, bummed out, didn't quite knock off Mill Valley. Instead, Mill Valley goes on to their fourth state title at 5A, but either way, 
Avery Johnson comes in. He's going to most likely redshirt next year, as mentioned, and then Howard's going to be the quarterback uh, next year in 2024, and then 2025 will be his redshirt sophomore year, and then is likely when he will be uh, good to go. And, uh, and that's that's just speculation. I mean, there's no, there's no, of course, real truth to that, but, you know, it's all about spe- speculation on these podcasts. Got to give the people what they want. So that's just what I think is going to happen. Then again, I did say that Seth Luttrell and John Holcomb III were the future of K-State football. You can go back and listen to that. I would recommend you not. It was not It was not a good call on my part. <laughs> of course, John Holcomb III transfers out, and Seth Luttrell does not get hired. So, uh, <laughs> but hey, I'm glad it worked out like that because – John Holcomb is nowhere to be found, and Seth Luttrell is, well, hey, this year he's he's going to the CUSA Championship with uh, the Mean Green, but, I mean, they are 7-5. and five. They went 6-2 and two in conference play, 7-5 and five overall, but good for him, I guess, but, I mean, K-State's K- going to the Big 12 Championship, so we'll take that any day of the week. So there's a lot to be excited about for K-State moving forward for 2023 on the offensive side of the ball. As for the defense, they lose a lot, and oh, it's going to be interesting trying to fill those spots. Going to have to go back to the old transfer portal again this year. They have been, they haven't really had very many misses at all in the transfer portal so far in the four years that Clement has been at K State. So I'm confident that they'll be able to find some guys that'll be able to fill some of those spots. But hopefully, some of those young those young bucks can come up and step up and uh, be in there as well. So don't have to rely on that. Every single year. So I think that for K-State next year is probably going to be a little bit of a step back. But thing, it kind of depends on does Deuce Vaughn come back? Does Cooper Beebe come back? Can Will Howard continue the production he does this year? And can K-State fill in some of those holes on the offensive line on the defense? It's a lot of questions. So 2023 is uh, going to be interesting for K-State. But getting ahead of ourselves because K-State still got two more games here in 2022. Uh, but I will leave that at that. As for TCU, moving forward, of course, Max Duggan is not going to be there anymore. Quentin Johnston is likely going to be a first-round pick, so they got some holes to fill. Is Chandler Morris really the answer? Because when he has played, the sample size has been small, but he hasn't been that impressive. We will see. They'll still have some of their weapons come back, so I think that he'll be okay. But I think that Max Duggan has certainly benefited for having one of the best wide receiver cores in the country. Unfortunately, Morris next year won't likely have as good of a core as Duggan does this year. So I think that they will, they will of course, they're going to regress. They're not going to go 12-0 and 0 next year. But how much will they regress? I think that Sonny Dykes was a great hire, obviously, in hindsight now. I think it's an easy, easy thing to say. Uh, when he got hired, I was kind of iffy on it. I honestly was. I didn't think it was a great hire. I thought it was just kind of like a meh. You know, kind of a stab in the dark, shot in the dark. But uh, they really hit a home run. There hasn't been a real bad hire in the Big 12 as of late, besides, I would say, Brent Venables. Well, we will see how that plays out. I think that OU is going to be fine. They just kind of had to take their lumps this year after everybody left, and they had to bring in a whole new system. OU will be fine, but like I said, you got to take your lumps. But OU does not really know how to take lumps because it's OU. They're a juggernaut in the college football world. So they have never really taken lumps before. This is all new to them, besides 2014. But even then, I think that I think that 2014 team, they still went like 9-3 and three or something like that. 
And they finished. They ended up in the top twenty in the AP poll at the end of the year. But they all this the dark era. It's like that's real cute. You guys have no idea what it's like to be a mediocre football team, and here they are though in twenty twenty two a mediocre football team, the Oklahoma Sooners. That's uh kind of got off the tangent there, but yeah. So TCU, I think will regress. We will see how things go in twenty twenty three. I'm really excited to see how things play out. And of course, to end twenty twenty two, as seven of the ten teams are bowl eligible with West Virginia, Iowa State not being bowl eligible, really unfortunate. And so actually, no, there'd be eight of the Big 12 teams being bowl eligible. So pretty solid year for the Big 12 once again. Uh, but just again, it's just that beating up on each other in the middle. It's always kept a team out of the playoff for the Big 12, but not this year, most likely. Well, we'll see because, I mean, if K-State wins, which I'm predicting they are, and they would not make the playoff. So I'll go ahead and leave with this. Let's talk about the playoff race here as we enter week thirteen, rather week fourteen of the college football season. Where did the time? Where did the time go? Though honestly, to quote that famous song. Um. So Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, TCU—that was the top four going into this week. Of course, things have changed now. It's going to be Georgia. Michigan, TCU, and USC most likely going to be the top four. But outside of that, that's where things get interesting in terms of teams on the outside that still have a chance to make the playoff. Of course, Ohio State is a one-loss team at 11-1. Should things happen, let's say, uh, for example, of course, if TCU loses, they would be out. Ohio State would probably be in. Same with USC. I think that Ohio State is most likely is the most likely team on the outside that could still get in. Just because of their one loss being to a team that is likely going to make the playoff. And all they got to do is beat Purdue. But we will see. That's why they play the games. As for Alabama, Tennessee, Penn State, I just don't think they should have any chance of getting in. If you don't make the if you don't make your conference championship, you shouldn't get in, but sometimes that has to happen when craziness ensues. It's just the way it's just the way it is, unfortunately. But a 12 team playoff will certainly eliminate that and I cannot wait for that to happen. So of course, Georgia, if they lose, they're probably still going to get in. Michigan, if they lose, that's going to be pretty interesting. Probably still gonna get in just because of TCU and USC make it. Then again, I don't know. Maybe Ohio State sneaks in there. That's gonna be really interesting. But I mean, Michigan playing Purdue. I don't think that the Wolverines are gonna lose that one either. TCU, if they lose, they're not gonna get in, unfortunately, which is pretty absurd. But that's just kind of how the things are. USC, if they lose, of course, they would have two losses. They would not get in as well. Now, if multiple teams lose. That's when things could really get interesting. Could a team that loses still get in if another team loses as well? That is certainly possible. Or does a team like Alabama sneak in there? It's because for Alabama, it's certainly possible. But uh, I don't think a team like Tennessee or Penn... I don't know if Tennessee or Penn State can still get in. With Tennessee, I think that the committee is going to... Since there's that human element, they're going to realize they are going to be without their quarterback. 
let's not put them in the playoff. You know, it, it would be, I think it would be a, a really bad ending if Tennessee somehow was able to get in. Uh, I don't think Washington has a shot of getting in as a two-loss Pac-12 team. Neither with Penn State. They didn't beat anybody this year, even though they only have two losses. And then, of course, uh, K-State, they win the Big 12. I don't think they're going to get in three losses. And these go go on down. There's nobody else le- left that has a chance of uh, really making the playoff here. So I think it's really those five teams, maybe six with Alabama, having a chance that you're looking at right now. But, hey, they could get pretty crazy. I don't think I think this year is going to be pretty tame in conference championships uh, in the conference championships this year. I think the only uh, the only game the only two games that are really going to have uh, any sort of I don't know maybe mayhem is the word are the Big Twelve Championship and the Pac Twelve Championship. And honestly, they've been probably the two funnest conferences to watch this season. Big Ten has been kind of bland. Everything's kind of went how we thought it was going to be. Went down to Ohio State of Michigan to determine who's going to make the playoff. Blah, blah, boring. I guess the Big Ten West was uh, fun in its own gross, disgusting, uh, can't look away because it's so bad kind of way. But the Pac-12 has multiple teams that are very good. And the Big 12 sees uh, two to four teams. Oh, I guess two, if you include Texas, three teams, not four. Three teams that are very good as well and have not been very good in the most recent past couple seasons. So it's new. It's fresh. It's exciting. So with the Back 12 Championship, you now have no divisions. You go to a round-robin, for, more closer to a round-robin format. Try to. Still have 14 teams. Kind of difficult to do. But you now no longer have a North and South division. And it has worked very well for the conference. They have multiple, multiple teams that are inside the top 25 in the final year, excuse me, in the final week of the regular season, that is, excuse me. And as for the Big 12, of course, you have two teams that will likely be in the top 10 in the college football rankings going at it. It should be a lot of fun. And I'm very much looking forward to being there for that game. So that's what we're going to look forward to for next weekend. But like I said, yeah, I think it's those six teams that are uh, going to be having the best chance to make the playoff. I don't think there's really anybody outside of those six that can get in. But we'll see. We will see. It's pretty crazy that uh, pretty much every single major conference championship game has a three-loss team. Pretty pretty nuts, especially for the, S- for the SEC. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, this was a fun one to do since uh, I was talking about K-State victory over KU and clinching a spot in the Big 12 championship. So, again, my prediction, uh, 35-7 to 7 cats. Looking forward to being there. Uh, thank you so much for listening, and I'll uh, talk to you next time.